0: Welcome, hey Kabi, how are you today? Good morning, John. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Welcome to Lunar Crush Live. Um, today we've got uh, Anthony from Pastel Network. This one's really cool. This is a, a blockchain that is designed for NFTs, and uh, I know we've both been taking a look at it, Kabi. What are your What are your thoughts so far? Yeah, that's a very unique
1: project. It's, I've never seen like a
0: blockchain that's been specific
1: specifically built just for you know. NFTs and this should be really interesting. I wanna know like really how the blockchain is customized just to be, you know, optimized really for NFTs and that's a conversation I really wanna dive into.
0: Yeah and and I'll, I'll say I'll welcome welcome Kabi. this is your world premiere in, in Lunar Crash live I believe right? Yeah 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 this is my first. <laughs> I, I love it I love it. And you're you're where where are you where are you uh where are you calling in from today? Where are you in the world?
1: I'm actually Nairobi, Africa. Yeah, that's nice. In
0: Kenya. <laughs> nice. How, how's the weather in Nairobi today? Yeah, it's been hot.
1: Uh, I think the last two days, but it's very really cold. I'd say we're just getting a break for some warmth, and then we get back to you know the cold days.
0: Mm, mm, sounds. I mean, we're we're in California, and, it, and it's the same. Now it's going to be. I think in the 90s today. So. Pretty yeah. pretty warm outside. So, um, let's get going. Uh, before we do that, I want to say we always say we have a disclaimer. We don't take any payment for our live streams. This is just purely. We want to bring in amazing projects that are innovating and advancing in the crypto space. And there probably isn't a more exciting place to innovate than in the NFT space right now. And, and I'm so excited to talk about it a little more. Um, I have to say in the chat, please only ask questions about Pastel Network. Um, we'll we'll get we'll try to get to them in the discussion. No price questions. Nothing about exchanges. Nothing about Lunar Crush. Um, other than, like, if anything other than Pastel Network is is discussed, we're spamming. Sorry, we gotta we gotta pull the plug on you. We gotta stay positive and and let's have some fun, okay? So so with that, uh, let's bring in Anthony from Pastel Network. Welcome, Anthony.
2: Hey you guys, how you doing?
0: Uh, amazing today, man. Amazing. Yeah, really good.
2: Fantastic. We're in California, yeah. are you? I'm from San Diego originally.
0: Oh, I'm about halfway between San Diego and Los Angeles. So kind of uh South Orange County. So uh, it's, it's beautiful. Where, where in the world are you today? Uh, New York. Oh, nice. Another one of my favorite places. Very cool. Very, yeah, very good. It. Nice. Yeah, man. So in New York all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, so, I, you know, amazing. City. So good. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, I was there a few months ago and I just I couldn't believe Brooklyn. I couldn't believe what what's happening. It, it's just so much growth. It's pretty amazing. Dude, it's insane. It's really yeah. cool. It is. And there's quite quite a crypto scene in uh in New York these days. It's uh it seems to be springing up. I don't think consensus hurt um having that in, in Brooklyn area and I know Avalanche is there and it's pretty
2: pretty exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, crazy to see how much has flown from San Francisco as well. There's just been so much overflow and so many people moving from the Bay Area out here. Obviously, Miami, Puerto Rico as well, Austin even, but New York is definitely on the up and up just in terms of the tech scene.
0: You know, it, it's, it's definitely one of those places. And I know we're, we're talking uh, right in the middle of uh, Bitcoin 2022 in, in Miami here. And uh, it's interesting you mentioned San Diego, because if you went to San Diego, you know, people think of California and they think San Francisco, they think mm-hmm. startups and they think tech. You should see San Diego right now. Uh, a lot of those individuals have, can work remote now and yep. they've all gone south. And so relatively speaking, San Diego is more expensive than San Francisco. Oh, wow. I didn't even realize. Mind. It is. It is. It's, it's pretty wild. Yeah. So um, I guess, you know, on that note, what what are your thoughts? I mean, the various parts of the world with crypto, What what parts of the world do you
2: consider friendly towards crypto? do I consider friendly towards crypto? It's a good question. I mean, look, there's friendliness in the sense of various communities. And obviously, crypto is meant to be globalized, decentralized all over the world. Um, I've definitely seen a lot of activity, obviously, in the various cities. We discussed a ton that's actually happening right now in Africa, Um, Nigeria, actually, in particular, we have a handful of ambassadors for Pastel and people we work with that are based in Nigeria. Um, so it's super exciting in that respect. And I also think that, you know, you have certain nation states from a regulatory standpoint um, and overall just dominating the space, Ecuador, um, El Salvador, for example, just really kind of grasping crypto and what it can actually do just in terms of broader democratization and you know looking at it in terms of how it can really assist in existing fiscal monetary policy.
0: It's interesting. Do you think that those those policies start at the bottom or the top?
2: <laughs> it's a interesting kind of symbiotic relationship between the two. I'd say for the most part, they definitely start from a top down perspective, though. Um, obviously, just looking around where certain unfortunately, where I think a lot of the hyperinflation and various sovereign currencies find themselves today. Um, obviously, you know you can look at the U.S. as well. I mean, 15 trillion dollars has been printed since the onset of COVID in the form of QE, you know, quantitative easing, COVID relief, infrastructure spend, um, and so I think a lot of nations around the world might be looking at crypto or even maybe even central bank digital currencies, which I don't really, you know, view in a positive light per se, um, and look at these as potential bailouts or you know ways to basically kind of get back onto a Um, stable ground. I mean, Bitcoin is less volatile at this point in time than um, almost half of the world's national currencies from an inflationary and pure volatility perspective, which is crazy to say, because most people think of Bitcoin, they think of digital assets as being hyper volatility, you know, risk bearing assets overall it's
0: so interesting we we've already talked about fiscal policy and we're here to talk about something as creative and fun as nfts <laughs> and it, no nowhere else in the world could you have discussions like this so very very cool love crypto um so tell what what got you here tell us about your journey um your, your career what led you here
2: yeah so i was actually um doing a master's in comp sci and ethereum had just really you know come out uh i actually Listened to a podcast from Andrew Norwitz and was listening about ERC-20, the standard, what it could do, and actually started to contribute to an open source project called Gollum, um, GNT, one Mm -hmm. of the first ERC-20 tokens. Ended up launching a fund back in 2017, innovating capital and really focused primarily on Web3 digital assets and building kind of this thesis around the multi-chain paradigm overall. In 2019, I... I was at a conference and came across, you know, the founder of Pastel, Jeff Emanuel, who really just struck me immediately as you know one of the most intelligent guys I had ever come across, creative genius, technical genius, and had really kind of had this thesis and idea around the future of NFTs. First of all, I'm like, what the heck are NFTs to begin with? You know, what are digital collectibles on the blockchain? How does this make sense? But he had identified a pain point. In the industry in the sense of nfts needing a specific blockchain to really service a lot of the application specific functionality if you think about general purpose blockchains like ethereum solana avalanche etc they're amazing for obviously you know, high potency high volume high turnover type applications in the world of DeFi, fungible tokens overall right but when you have something that requires a high amount of data integrity and can actually be maybe more slow moving, per se. Think about NFTs, for example, right? The amount of actual underlying data that can't necessarily be represented on the blockchain, but should be tightly integrated and coupled with the actual token standard itself. It requires basically a completely isolated, decentralized network to be able to establish a lot of this overall provenance, security, authenticity, et cetera. And it kind of played into this concept of multi-chain application specific blockchains. You obviously have the general purpose blockchains of the world. You have the various L2s and scaling solutions on top. But in the future, you're also going to see these application specific L1s that can interoperate and do very, very specific functions and features um, for certain applications. You know, lo and behold, Pastel came involved in the sense of being able to provide a completely isolated layer one storage solution that was also able to do a lot of the functionality required for NFT, such as you know running a system that could identify if something is a you know near duplicate using a deep learning methodology um, and just a handful of other features and functionality that you couldn't run directly on ethereum right
1: i mean a couple of issues there um you just mentioned i've seen so many crypto startups that are working on uh fully decentralizing their platforms and their systems. And I'm just, this is the first, I think, um, NFT platform that I see that's working on fully decentralizing themselves. But um, the approach where you have super nodes just to, you know, have uh, this platform stay up for, you know, the entire time before, like uh, we used to see uh, crypto startups that are, yes, decentralized, but are hosted on platforms that are centralized so they're partially, centralized so how do you like look into fully decentralizing a platform in the sense that um whenever like i know i have an nft on you know your platform um i'm sure even if like say we today went down i'm still you know gonna have my nft so i just want to know your approach to that and how you're doing it
2: yeah no it's it's a great question right and i think the concept of decentralization is super important and it underpins the ecosystem in general Right. If things aren't decentralized, then what's the point? I could spin up an Amazon S3 bucket, deploy my data there, launch some application directly, right? It's far more efficient, far more cost effective, faster, et cetera. So if you start to lose sight of the importance of decentralization, you know, you undermine the importance of crypto and digital assets and you know peer-to-peer censorship resistance to begin with. So having a multi-layer structure that was decentralized from the ground up and putting in everything we could, laying the groundwork of the actual network. So every aspect of it was decentralized, was a very methodical designed out part of the system itself. So the way to think about Pastel is it starts with you know, the core layer one you know, Pastel chain. We've built a blockchain that's very similar to a Bitcoin like blockchain to achieve maximum security, reliability and decentralization. We also use cryptographic innovations, zero-knowledge proofs via ZK-SNARKs to allow for provably secure transactions as well that are validated by the network. And so having this base that's really run by a kind of of proof-of-work system from our perspective was the best way to start in terms of achieving a foundational layer of a system that was maximal in the sense of decentralization. Anybody around the world can rent some compute and help actually secure the blockchain. There's no censorship or gating factor here, right? I can spin up a node, I can basically deploy some compute, all of a sudden I'm an active participant of the network itself. But more importantly than that is, we started at this kind of foundational level, level, and we built basically a scalable level on top of what we call supernodes. And supernodes really form the backbone of the overall pastel network themselves. And supernodes are what are responsible for performing all of the NFT related activity. So think about Supernodes as almost validator nodes, as you would see on a Solana or another blockchain. Supernodes require users to go stake a certain amount of PSL. Supernodes are running super high powered instances that are connected to the Pastel chain. Um, they have a high amount of storage as well as compute capacity. And they're doing all of that NFT stuff, activating NFTs on the network, validating the NFTs are legit, and performing various functions like running our sense protocol for near-duplicate NFT detection, as well as Cascade for permanent distributed storage. And even these protocols in and of themselves were established in a very decentralized facet, which we can discuss later. Uh, But to go back to your point, there's about 114 supernodes running around the world right now. Anybody, you could go acquire 5 million PSL, run a node, stake it, and now you're a Supernode on the network, validating NFT transactions, storing NFT metadata, performing all of the various functionality. There's no gating factor. We we really wanted to make it a perfect combination, whereas instead of going out and having to put in a significant investment, and I mean, unfortunately, one of the biggest things we see in the industry today is a lot of proof of stake based validator networks are very much so semi-centralized and concentrated by a handful of various constituents, investors, foundations, third-party staking providers. We wanted to really kind of bridge that gap in the sense of making it very easy for a consumer to be able to actually acquire resources to go run a supernova themselves to achieve that point of maximum decentralization.
0: Well, on that note, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you're doing something like it's pretty intensive in terms of, you know, storage, in terms of delivery, how do, do these super nodes, are there like very specific requirements that that they have to have in place to to run this network?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, it's, they're definitely high, high powered instances. You know, you can go run a box on AWS or Vulture or DigitalOcean or whatever it might be. But yes, there are storage and compute requirements to running these things. We have made it though, however, that the actual deep learning and computer vision methodologies that underpin sense, for example, can be done via CPUs. You don't necessarily need to go rent GPUs or TPUs even for that matter to go run this system. So, yes, there is obviously a technical requirement, but it isn't something that's completely gating. OK,
0: so so un- underpinning these amazing things you're talking about, I guess maybe let's back up and talk about the industry for a minute. <laughs> you know, so so like nft space really really gone crazy over the last year right it's you know uh you 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 go to a coffee shop and you just randomly hear people talking about nfts now right I mean it's it's being part of culture part of society and, and I guess from your perspective being so deep into this space you know what what are you know where are we as as a as an industry with nfts where are we going and what are some of the challenges that you see
2: yeah oh man awesome back there so <laughs> Three hours, three hours, uh, you know, of an answer here, I'm sure. <laughs> when the ERC 721 standard first came out, a ton of applications were immediately resonating. What's funny is profile picture, pictures, digital art, digital collectibles were probably at kind of like the, the far end of what people were envisioning. There was this STO craze, you know, security token offerings at the time. And people were super excited about what NFTs could do as they could represent different types of data objects, digital identities, obviously credit markets, financial products, you know, whatever it might be. And so it's interesting to see how it's kind of evolved in the last few years and how we kind of hit this inflection point around, obviously, a number of different 10,000, you know, one of 10,000 projects, PFPs and whatnot. I think where we are now, though, is we're definitely at that point in time where community growth and community hacking is so critically important. I go back to, you know, Yuga Labs and Board Yacht Club, for, for example. I mean, I think that they really, for the first time, were able to kind of embody what NFTs really represented. It's not just a token with a picture on it. It's much more than that. Ownership as an NFT represents membership to a community. It represents accessibility and potentially an expectation of, you know, utility services, et cetera. But I think it's that community aspect that's super critical and important as well and membership to that community. Obviously, I think there is a confluence of factors at the time in terms of a global pandemic, um, obviously <laughs> low interest rate policies and risk bearing appetite that have kind of pushed things towards NFTs. But I think coming out of that, people are looking into NFTs in terms of the tremendous use cases that might apply to games, web applications, a future where digital identity is born and bared by NFTs in particular. Um, So we're definitely in the very early innings. I think that a lot of the media attention and hype around NFTs has been counter focused on more of this external visualization of what NFTs can be. Whereas deep in the ecosystem, there's so much going on under the hood. I mean, I'm, I'm in various community channels where The stuff that people are working on is just incredible from an infrastructure perspective, from an accessibility perspective, you know, security, authenticity, whatever it might be. So I definitely think there's a tremendous amount of resources that are being pushed into the space right now, laying the foundation for this to really be, you know, more than just a cool digital collectible fad that might last for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, it, it definitely feels interesting, right? Like how many conversations do you have with, I don't understand, people pay that much for a JPEG? I don't get it. You know, we're, we're kind of, uh, the majority of the masses are still there and they're still in the same point. It, it reminds me of a few years ago still, like just talking, even now, talking about Bitcoin. People are like, is it risky? Is it, you know, it risky? like, what do, what do you mean there's other coins other than Bitcoin? What do you mean? And, you know, yeah. it's it's just fascinating, you know, where we are here. So, you know, you mentioned too, like about, you know, like the decentralization aspect of it, it and there's a lot of NFTs that are, that are hosted on AWS. <laughs> like those are, you know, I, I, I would be curious to see if there was a study that could prove just how many were, but you know, how, how important is that? How important is this, you know, the fact that you need to know where it is and it has to be decentralized. How do you see the importance of that?
2: Yeah. Well, look. No, I mean, it's funny that you bring that up. I mean, you have we have that data, right? We basically are running Ethereum. Like our super nodes basically have capabilities to, you know, do a number of different things. You know, you could run an ETH node, you could run a sole node, etc. But the ability to go necessarily go parse the blockchain, look at a base token URI field, and you know, see basically where it's referenced. It's all publicly there. And there's a tremendous amount that are stored basically inaccurately, and incorrectly on centralized servers. So I mean, going back to your point, this is the reason why it was so important to develop something that was completely decentralized. I was having a conversation with one, one of our investors about this just yesterday. If the underlying parts are not all fundamentally decentralized, you basically have a complete kind of failure in the underlying value chain itself. And your actual asset is centralized, right? There's no, oh, it's decentralized here on Ethereum, but I have the data here and yeah, it's okay. It doesn't work that way, right? A 404 error is real, Uh, servers going down are real. Paying a monthly fee that an external dependency has to rely on is real. Pinning to IPFS and maintaining that pin is real and it takes time. It's not permanent, it's not distributed, it's not fully decentralized. So our storage system, the reason why we built it the way we did was to help solve this fundamental issue. Going back to the point of why you need an application specific blockchain. There's a bite, you know, there's a block limit in terms of the amount of data you can store per block on Ethereum and general purpose blockchains for a reason. It's why they are that fast. It's why they you know are that cheap. For all people complain about gas fees and whatnot, you can go basically collateralize billions of dollars in value and it's not going to cost you that much money. But for slow moving applications that require a lot of data like NFTs, it might seem relatively expensive. So, you know, back to Pastel how this cascade system works, we actually take NFT data and we use a encoding technique called Raptor Q to effectively, you know, think about it like we take a file, we chop it up into a bunch of symbols or chunks, and then we run that through a photocopier 50 or 100 times, and then we randomly distribute those chunks to every single supernode on the network itself. And so, you know, the thing that's really really unique here is if you think about it at the end of the day, it's not a complex or centralized system for deciding which node is responsible for which chunk. It's completely random. You don't have to iterate through every single supernode to find one with a relevant chunk. And there's the biggest thing, there's no complicated or failures in terms of logic in the case of nodes entering and re-entering or leaving the network. Because at the end of the day, if 95% of these super nodes go down, you can still recover the file from the remaining super nodes on the network, which is really, really critical and important. I think the biggest thing here is it's pay once store forever you know if you mention data on this blockchain it's going to be there forever it's never going to go away it's going to be living there into perpetuity you don't have to maintain a file or a pin or a host address or whatever it might be completely permanent completely redundant
1: and with this unique blockchain, with this very unique blockchain and um a token as well psl um how does that blockchain together with that token work within that ecosystem.
2: Exactly. So what's the question was kind of what's the use case of the token itself? Yes. So think about the utility of Pastel as kind of being, you know, threefold. Number one is to to purely provide any sort of operations or functionality on the network. You want to generate a Pastel ID. You want to generate a username. You want to mint an NFT. You want to basically activate an NFT. You want to submit a trade ticket. Right. All these different various functions require PSL to be spent. And the way that we've actually thought about fees on the system, we actually keep fees very, very, very low. We have kind of two sets of fees. There's fixed fees, which are incurred by users during a very simple transaction that require like a minimal amount of computational effort. But we have a small amount of fees there just to prevent bad actors from spamming the network. That could be registering an NFT, trading an NFT, whatever it might be. Then you have kind of this variable gas fee and we actually have calculated a system so that we charge users proportionate to the amount of computational effort required to execute that operation itself. But it also adjusts over time as the network difficulty goes up, the fees actually go down in terms of pastel to keep fees very, very negligible on the system. And these fees are charged for storing an NFT, running sense, activating an NFT on the network, et cetera. So one thing to mention, too, is transaction fees flow back to Supernodes and they're also burnt. So there's a deflationary mechanic that's built in that actually burns fees and takes them out of supply. Nice. And I, and
0: I, I told you that we had earlier that we have a surprise for you. And that is that uh, Pastel is being added to Lunar Crush. And I'm, I'm so excited to uh, to hear that you, you mentioned uh, how important community activity is because... Um, that is exactly what you'll be able to do on Lunar Crush. You'll be able to see the Pastel community grow. Um, so give, give it a little bit of time here, a day or two, and the, all that data will start to fill out. And you'll be able to see like who's most influential, how many social mentions you have, the engagement, the number of people talking about Pastel every day um, across many different social channels. So um, excited to have you added uh, to the site. We'll, we'll do an announcement uh, on that one later as well.
2: I love it. Awesome. Looking forward to it.
0: Cool. Cool. Nice. So, um, give me one second. My screen is now frozen. Kavi, keep going.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I think maybe just moving forward, um, you you have like a very unique platform, which is different from like the rest of the NFT platforms. Maybe for a a, a newbie or say layman, somebody who hasn't been on the blockchain for some time or hasn't traded NFTs before, um, how what what you do describe is the how how is pastel different from the rest of the NFT platforms as a platform?
2: Yeah, I mean look, I think there's a couple of things here. So the way to think about pastel is it's it's not a marketplace, right? It's not a L2, it's not a DAP or an application that sits on top of a different blockchain like Ethereum or Solana. It's its own completely independent layer one network. And that's just so much far, you know more valuable in the sense of the utility that can be derived in the various use cases associated with the network itself. So we're not necessarily a platform that's going out and necessarily targeting you know, purely retailers or consumers. We're actually going on integrating with other layer one blockchains. We're going on integrating with other layer two solutions, other marketplaces. Imagine you mint an NFT on hypothetically OpenSea. That data can actually get sent to Pastel to be stored, to run our near-duplicate NFT detection. And that data is sent back to OpenSea. You can almost think like, all right, I'm into an NFT and it's, you know, rated 95% rare. I get a little bit, I get like a blue badge or whatever that certifies my NFT on on the blockchain. Marketplaces can use this to help prevent against scams, fraud, duplicates that are obviously really just tearing apart the market in general. Just in terms of you know, people coming in and doing copycat scams and whatnot. I think it's um it's a it's an amazing use case that can be extended to of various facets of the ecosystem overall. I'll actually give you a little bit of a um, sneak peek. Hopefully the team doesn't kill me, but we're launching a product in a uh, a couple of months here that basically will allow users to easily mint and deploy NFTs um, across various ecosystems like Ethereum and Solana, where we actually deploy the smart contract on their behalf, but make sure that that data is stored on Pastel, that we run sense on that NFT itself and that that actual, you know, response and metadata is minted on their respective, hypothetically, Ethereum smart contract. So they have that permanent storage there forever. Um, so we're helping bring, you know, this this problem and solution to the mass retail use case as well. That that is uh, huge. That is absolutely
0: That's- huge. I mean, like I from where I sit, I, I think I've seen board Ape, fake board Apes on every chain and. You know there's no there's it's very difficult to understand what's real what's
2: not uh like there's there's so much fraud out there yeah you I know it's it's interesting too because I think the biggest point on that is if you think about NFTs, how many people do you know that have bought an F- NFT but were not into crypto beforehand? They almost kind of leapfrog this concept of digital yeah. assets and cryptocurrency in general. I mean I have a lot of friends that no way am I touching crypto or getting involved. And the next thing I know, they have a, uh, you know, soul ape or something. I'm like, that's crazy, right? And I think the problem there is they haven't necessarily had that sort of learning curve um, or understanding fundamentally of some of the inherent risks of private key ownership and of some of these broader scams that can take place in the actual networks overall. So it actually... There's a lot more prey, unfortunately, for, you know, scammers and fraudsters to take advantage of.
0: Yeah, you know, just you, you said it. I mean, just the self-custody aspect of it to immediately go from immediately go from um, I, I know people that think cryptocurrencies are stocks <laughs> like like to go from there to owning an NFT and self-custody in like a, a phantom wallet or a MetaMask wallet or whatever it is. It, it's a shocking leap right? And then they forget a word in their passphrase or a letter, letter, uh, an exclamation. Um, They also don't know they have to pay taxes on their sales. They also don't know uh, what wrapping into another chain means and all this stuff. And then they're getting, then they go on Twitter and get confused. So it's, it's, uh, it is, it is kind of an interesting time when you look at it that way. Um, But over time, you know, I, I love the fact that you talked about like, you know, over time, this is like permanently there and, and, and stored. And, you know, you, you have a reading about like, you know, environmental impact and, you, you know, that, that's, that's a big deal. And, you know, especially if we're talking about it's permanently stored. Um, how do you view the environmental impact of crypto and, and what is Pestel doing about that?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. Right. And it's obviously a massive trade off overall. Um, everything in the networks require computation. Obviously, you know, proof of work versus proof of stake has risen a lot of debates. But at the end of the day, they both require an exhausting amount of computational resources. You know, one might be less than the other. But I think the biggest thing is for the actual networks themselves to find ways to optimize for how things are actually built. You know, thinking about these various design, design decisions and trade-offs. One thing that we can tangibly do and you know that we've been active in terms of Pastel is this concept of kind of green NFTs. We're actually working with third parties where part of the transaction fees are actually redirected um, to wallets that can then actually be used to go plant trees or you know, funds that are actually donated to various nonprofit organizations around the world that are effectively trying to achieve a you know, minus 100% offset just in terms of overall carbon emissions. So I think having a combination of both underlying foundational design as well as some of the actual concrete tangible impact um, are the best things that obviously projects can do to help propel things forward. But yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating because it's obviously a massive pain point in the industry. It's a trade-off, right? Because the computation required to run the networks is what provides a foundation of security and reliability. But on the flip side, an exhaustive amount of computation has that detrimental ESG component as well. And there's,
0: there's, you know, the argument of, you know, especially like Bitcoin, uh, you know, because it's the largest thing out there uh, gets, you know, gets attacked on this point all the time. And then a lot of the argument is, well, it's actually hunting for energy efficiency at all times. Um, There's an incentivization system in the network to drive the most efficient power possible. um, And that's a never ending cycle. However, look how big this is going to go. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this is going to go so big that we can't even dream how big this is going to go. Um, you know, we're talking about 300 million people on cryptocurrency going to a billion this year, and there's 7 billion more people in the world. And so it's it's interesting, you know, we're really early, even with all the things we're talking about, um, you know, and as we talk about that growth, there's all these new use cases that also use more energy. So right. it's, going be, it's going to be fascinating.
2: Right. 100%. Oh, you, have, um,
1: you have mentioned so many... You know unique market prepositions for yourselves as personal network i just like to know like how big is the market opportunity for you guys
2: yeah massive to say the least i mean the the thing is going back to one of my earlier points in terms of use cases of nfts themselves right nfts as immutable slow-moving kind of stale data objects can really underpin so many different parts of the market financial products, credit markets, um, big data, identity, real estate. And there's just so many aspects of the market that can really be tapped into and touched. And they're all gonna require a variety of different infrastructure solutions on the back end for that data storage, for that security and authenticity. And being able to tap into all these applications I think is what's really critical. I mean, obviously a lot of the stuff that's just kind of touching the surface is digital art, contemporary art, metaverse objects, digital gaming, whatever it might be. And even those markets in and of themselves have the potential to be hundreds and hundreds, if not into the trillions of dollars overall. So the market size is you know, massive. And I think where we spend most of our time just in terms of internal diligence and analysis is looking at where do we want to be positioned? You know, Who do we want to be supporting in the next five to 10 years? Because if you think about it, our infrastructure is going to be the backbone for a lot of these marketplaces and layer twos and whatnot. So it's actually going out and identifying and doing a lot of landscaping, you know, where do we want to actually be be, to be penetrated in these markets over the next decade or so? Um, Who are going to be the games that are going to come out on top? Who are going to be the layer ones that are going to come out on top from a general purpose perspective? Who are the specific marketplaces that we feel confident are going to procure the most value just in terms of retail users and end users that are actually touched. Um, And so that's how we're really thinking about the market overall. It's really, really fascinating.
0: Again, I'm back to the like the forever comment of like it's it's permanently hosted somewhere. You know, I I think it's one thing to think through, you know, uh, I've got a JPEG of something, right? It's another to think through uh, my deed is an NFT on my home that I'm going to pass down across generations, right? Mm -hmm. That thing had better not go down. Right. Um, like the, the, the utility of that is critical to my f- entire family and future generations. Right. Uh, it, it's it's different than saying I'm going to license the likeness of my monkey to someone else for to do a fast food joint. Like it's totally different. And so I think that's where this gets really um, interesting when we start to think through NFTs as like mission critical applications versus something I'm even part of a community in, which is important. But it's a little different than maybe your home or the, right. your your assets that you own. So right. it's exciting. So you know what, your your I don't know if you want to talk through it or if you want to demo it. But your sense demo that we were looking at yesterday is epic.
2: I don't know if you have if, if you want to go through that at all. But I think yeah, yeah. So many. yeah, I would love to. Yeah, I definitely encourage people to um, absolutely go check it out. So I talked a little bit about sense just for some just quick background. Sense is really at its core, a lightweight protocol on Pastel that's operated by these super nodes. And the general idea is we're running a deep learning methodology that effectively takes an NFT and transforms it into this almost multidimensional vector, which we call the fingerprint vector. What we do is we take this vector. So instead of just having an image that a computer will look at and take a perceptual hash and this image is different than this one, but it's going to tell you that if, you know, you make a small transformation or you make an invisible change. So it doesn't really work in that respect. A lot of the security or authenticity techniques that you see, if I could take a board Ape, like you mentioned, many board Apes on many different blockchains, I could take a board Ape and, you know, basically add a little pixel at the bottom. A computer based on existing technology will just think that's different. So we wanted to basically come up with a system and it has taken years of research, really. It's an open research problem in and of itself that can actually take a file or data object and transform it into a way that a computer can look at that almost mimics human perception. I show you something and I show you something a little bit different. How do the neurons almost trigger in your brain to see the dissimilarity or similarities of a file? Uh, It sounds abstract, so I'll show you the demo in a second here. Uh, But basically, you know, this digital fingerprint that I mentioned to you can then be used in a quantitative way to assess the statistical probability that one fingerprint is a duplicate to another. And so the general idea is you can use this tool to basically say, hey, fingerprint one was minted on block X, has a 95% relative rareness score a block X plus N, we minted another NFT and we picked up that it's probably a duplicate of this first one. Um, it's you know within 99% similar. And so a marketplace might decide to use that technology to say, hey, we want to prevent this from being minted or we don't want to give it a certificate badge per se. Maybe we want to we flag a takedown or whatever it is. Um, you can also use this from a valuation perspective too if you are a collector in the world of contemporary digital art or whatever it might be to understand basically the relative value of something in terms of its underlying uniqueness or you also just might not care uh, but it definitely does change potentially some of the purchasing or behavioral decisions of overall creators and collectors so let me uh let me pull this up for you see where can... you've already got me thinking about like
0: pfps and how it's become it's such a trend you know and you know, you think of uh, like a verified account, is that really them? And you think of, you know, we talk about identity, but this is a, a key element of identity is your your visual ap- appearance, you know? And, exactly. and uh, that's that's a really interesting use case in, for PFPs, I think.
2: Exactly. You know what, it's not letting, me... let me see if this
0: works. Oh, you just hit the share button at the bottom and then it should share one of your browser tabs or your whole screen.
1: In the meantime, I'm just curious, you know, what do you think about the Metaverse?
2: What what do I think about what exactly? The Metaverse. Oh, what do I think about the Metaverse? Oh, man. I am very, very, very bullish and excited on it. From just an experiential standpoint, the ability for users... There's a lot of debates that go around. Why are we spending time in the Metaverse? Why are we dealing with certain things in the metaverse but it really goes back to the concept some of the initial concepts of blockchain in general democratizing access to certain things and in this particular instance it might be experiences if you could go and experience a world even a restaurant or an event or an exhibit and you're somewhere in the world where you didn't have access to that before but now you do and you're able to actually accept, you know, access an experience that otherwise would have been inaccessible in the real world and basically derive some utility from that. To me, that's amazingly powerful and just beautiful in general. And beyond that, I think just from an interconnected standpoint, there are certain applications where you could basically have, you know, meetups with friends where you don't even leave your apartment. You're basically having dinner and you're seeing them. I think it's a different level of intercommunication, and just general connection overall. And I'm just super excited to see how it evolves. Um, So I'm very optimistic on the future, on the applications that'll be derived from it. And I mean, on the flip side too, there's practical applications that just drive a ton more efficiencies. Think about the construction industry, for example, um, just as one instance, how many wasted amounts of costs. I mean, you wanna talk about environmental efficiencies, all right, here's a trade off for you. How much does it take in terms of sending site superintendents, general contractors that fly around the world to go to a site, do site surveys, assess the site location and whatnot? Think about all that wasted time, fuel, energy, cost that goes into it. Now they can put on some sort of headset and basically you know, leveraging geospatial mapping And a metaverse application can do all of that sitting in their apartment, sitting at the office without flying around the world in real time and collaborate with others. So I think there's a ton of different actual practical applications combined with just various accessibility use cases of metaverse itself. That get me super excited. Yeah. That's a, that's really interesting. I mean, I
0: I think, I think like, you know, from where you sit, you know, who, who are your users? you know, who, who are the users of Pastel Network? Is it is it kind of the the investor? Is it the node operators? Is it, is it a B2B enterprise play? You know, how do you look at uh, your ecosystem?
2: Yeah. It starts off in terms of how we've thought about Pastel, getting people to really access the network and functionality. Obviously, you know, we're not living under a rock. We see the amount of volume, we see the amount of traffic and network activity that's flowing on a lot of these general purpose blockchains, Ethereum, Solana, et cetera, in the various marketplaces built on top. We have a solution that we can help, you know, help them solve various problems with. So we wanna tap into those from your perspective, various B2B avenues, whether it's the layer ones, look at Tomochain or Nervos, two of our existing partners, we're actually integrating at their NFT standard level if there's ever a marketplace or application that's built on top of Nervos or TomoChain, their own version of their own ERC721 standards in the case of TomoChain TRC721 and in the case of Nervos NRC721 are actually making calls to Pastel. So user mints an NFT on Nervos, data sent to Pastel to be stored, et cetera. And the response of that is minted on the actual Nervos NFT itself. So in that case, there's a very clear way to interoperate with other blockchains. On the flip side, we can do a similar integration directly at the application level with various marketplaces and dApps that live on these different ecosystems. So we're really taking a two pronged approach in that respect, in terms of actual businesses that we're going after. But at the end of the day, we're serving the retail, we're serving the creators and the collectors, and we're serving the builders on these actual networks. I mentioned too, obviously, kind of our our minting platform that we're coming out with in a couple of months. And that's a way for us to actually directly access the retail and consumer avenue. We're now retailers, you know, we've identified a massive problem in the market. You can go on OpenSea and mint an NFT. Unfortunately, you're not going to necessarily have a lot of that pure flexibility in terms of smart contract structuring, uh, metadata properties, storage properties, things like that. And do they actually relinquish control of that smart contract back to you? It's something to think about. On the flip side, a creator might say, All right, I'm gonna learn Solidity and write a bunch of code and deploy it myself on EVM, which is very unlikely. So we're trying to actually kind of bridge that gap in terms of creating a very you know, low-code, no-code solution that gives creators and collectors an ability to create custom smart contracts on various networks like Ethereum and Solana, but still get that storage security. And that authenticity of pastel.
0: So, so you got a lot of audiences, and I assume <laughs> also probably a lot of geographies. Yep. Um, that's the other fun part about crypto that I don't I don't know if uh, until you're in crypto, you don't realize just how distributed globally uh, our audiences are. And and so, how do you look at that community and and that engagement, and how do you manage that growth? And and I know. Just like every project you got you got people out there on Twitter going it's going to moon it's going to dump you know buy sell they're doing TA they're doing all sorts of things and then there's the people that are like building on your project right and so you got to satisfy many many
2: audiences i guess how do you how do you look at that yeah it's uh, it's a lot of work it's very exciting it goes back to kind of my initial comment that i made about Identifying where we want to be, who we want to basically back and penetrate. And requires a lot of just internal assessment, analysis of the market, of these communities, of these projects. We're not necessarily going out and, you know, taking a shotgun approach to the entire market here. We're very, we're being very, very um, oriented and strategic in terms of who we're getting involved with, just in the sense of, you know, who is really doing something fundamentally important in the market. And as you know, you would say, staying away from people who are just trying to make a quick buck and you know, <laughs> it's going to moon sort of thing, right? We're basically trying to make sure that we're working with individuals, foundations, projects, developers who are building something phenomenal that is going to be a massive part of ecosystem in the next five to 10 years. And a lot of times, right, there is a lot of entry and re-entry into the market. Trying to stay away from that noise is, is super important and something that, you know, we try to stay disciplined on all the time, just kind of keeping a open mind, but making sure we're keeping our heads down in um, a lot of different respects. I love that, man. It's, a, it's the right perspective to have, a long-term perspective,
0: innovating, building cool stuff. That's why we all got into this space in the first place, right? So that's Yeah, I mean,
2: I love it, man. It's It's yeah. a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of research and it's a lot of just crazy hard problems, which make it exciting. Every day is a challenge. Every day there's a new fire to put out. But it's what, you know, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> keeps me excited. Yep.
1: Um, and as you mentioned so, growth, I mean, um, you know, you have already mentioned the way, like, what kind of community you guys are focusing on and how you're growing. But the other question would be, um, so how do you assess your growth so far?
2: Yeah. So we've, we've really operated... In, um, in stealth for a couple of years, just in terms of why we were really doing a lot of the research and development, um, just in terms of what we were trying to build, what we were trying to achieve. And obviously as NFTs became very, very much so validated in the market and accepted, you know, we quickly realized that it was important for us to make our technology readily accessible. Um, so we've worked very hard in terms of developing these open APIs, and to make it easy for partners like Anervos who are TomoChain or, Tomo chain or um, Ripple's on XRP, who is one of our most recent partners, <clears throat> to be able to integrate directly. And so I'd say we're very, very excited about the recent traction we've had since this technology has really come out uh, over like the last quarter or so. And with our backlog of interested parties, people who are doing, you know, effectively you know, testing and doing building on top of us right now we're super stoked about some of the more partners that we're going to be releasing and announcing in the coming months. And on the flip side, some of these more user-facing products that we're coming out with as well, we're stoked to really make a massive splash into that side of the market.
0: So on the, uh, the, the topic of, you know, doing all of this work and and building this long term i'm curious you know what kind of team does this take you know how do you how does your team approach this is your team distributed how many people how do you kind of look at that growth of that team
2: yeah um it's it's a it's a it's a problem right in the sense of a problem to solve in the respect of having basically multiple layers of development and i think we've done an amazing job basically filling those roles over the last couple of years and recruiting amazing talent. And I think that's something that starting from a leadership perspective um, with Jeff and with Alexi, you know, Jeff obviously coming from the hedge fund world um, as a mathematician and computer scientist on the quantitative side, when people see his passion and vision and what he's designed and built, they immediately fall in love with it. Um, And I think it's been, we've had an amazing ability to recruit top tier talent from all around the world from an amazing institutions and organizations, other projects, other blockchains, just given this foundational approach of the leadership team. And the fact that you know, our CEO and our CTO have their sleeves rolled up and are the biggest contributors of the project. If you just look at our GitHub repository, right? Everything's open source. I mean, some of the stuff is, it's hard. The stuff that we're building is technically challenging, technically hard, and we've been able to do it. We've been able to launch a operating mainnet I think that's no easy feat. And I think a lot of people who understand the space and what we're working on appreciate it. Um, So from a recruiting perspective, it's a relationship between high powered, high caliber distributed systems, microservices developers who can build these massive decentralized networks, as well as people from a research perspective, knowing some of these open research problems, like I mentioned with sense or even distributed storage and things of the nature. And then on the flip side, it comes back to, all right, now, how do we take all this stuff together, package it in a way that we can deliver it to users in a very, very easy, lightweight fashion that they can just tap in a couple lines of code and run the whole thing on the back end and we'll maintain it for them. and They don't have to worry about it. And they have a well-functioning, reliable network forever.
1: You guys have so much going on. <laughs>
2: well,
1: I think my question would be maybe, um, where do you see yourselves in the, in the short term and in the long term?
2: Yeah, I mean, in the short term, uh, I definitely would challenge readers to go look at our, uh, or listeners to go look at our medium posts just in terms of kind of the 2022 roadmap in terms of what we're doing. You know, number one, it's basically consistently hitting on certain releases. And we want to have one massive release every single quarter. Um, so we actually pushed out to testnet and private mainnet, our first release um, in Q1. We're rolling it out to mainnet very shortly. And so, just constantly having these iterative development cycles. The second is interoperability. We have a very, very clear roadmap of projects that we really want to have fully functional bridging across with Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, Polkadot. Just in the sense of users can obviously bridge the native currency PSL, but also native assets, so they can bridge those assets across those various blockchains. And we're able to do that with our SuperNode setup um just in terms of actually maintaining those bridges in a secure fashion the third thing would be continuing to build across a lot of these different partnerships that i mentioned the layer ones the marketplaces the applications the traditional enterprises um, and then you know the fourth piece the fourth piece would be really some more of these consumer oriented products and visuals such as the sense demo that you just shared or you know the smartmint product that we're coming out with in the next couple of months um, so there's a ton here. I think as we get these milestones over this year and we basically, you know, execute on everything I just mentioned towards the end of the year, we'll probably be going out to market and looking to you know, potentially raise from institutional investors to take us into a much more massive kind of growth territory in terms of going out and um, you know, capturing a significant amount of market share overall.
0: Yeah, I don't think you're going to have a problem with that. Right space, right time, right product. It's amazing. Um you know, you've got. It's we we ask this question on every live stream, so I got to ask you too. Uh, you know, you got distributed users, you got distributed team, you got hyper growth. Assume that means a lot of long hours and and weekends and holidays and all that fun stuff. How what do weekends? you stay? I don't know. See exactly, you're proving <laughs> my point. So, um, how do you stay healthy in this in this crazy space? And are there any tactics that you can share with the community?
2: And you know, it's funny. I don't know if you know Ari Paul over at um block tarts. I messaged with him once a couple of years ago, just because it's a problem, right? And he's on the investment side and it's, yeah, it's, it's so continuous and there's so much to be doing. And if you're not, you're falling behind. And so I think it's important. I mean, you know, some of my rituals, I take a lot of like vitamin supplements just every single day, just to obviously, you know, keep myself and my mind, right. I think that does a big part of the job. I make sure I just, I get physical activity in every day. And I just say, you know what, I have to put in 30 minutes or 45 minutes away, because I know it's going to de-stress me and then make me more productive when I get back. I think a lot of people will try to, I can't say, you know, you go sleep eight or six hours a night. That's just not necessarily realistic for a lot of people. But I think forcing yourself to take your mind and your body first and do things that just work for you, even if it's 30 minutes or an hour, are actually going to pay, it's going to pay off in and of itself, just in terms of how you actually work and how you think and people sometimes slip and forget to do that but I think reorienting and prioritizing that is super important and then just finding outlets every now and then that you like to do um, I like to watch certain sporting events when I can and um, definitely kind of de-stresses me just kind of putting my mind away for a minute um, go play around in golf if I ever can and you know certain things like that definitely just keep my mind you know a little bit more oriented well you you were from San Diego so I hope you played Torrey Pines Oh yeah. <laughs> I love that course.
0: It's beautiful. It's um, so we're, we're at an hour, you know, is there, is there anything else? I want to respect your time. I mean, is there anything else you'd like to leave us with today and, and talk about to the community?
2: Yeah. I mean, look, I would say, I would definitely say obviously touched on a ton of amazing stuff that pastel is working on. Um, I'd encourage the community, the listeners, the audience to go follow us on Twitter. Um, Follow us on Medium and join our Telegram and Discord. Just get involved in the community just to stay up to date. We're sharing a lot of information, obviously, not just on Pastel, but just on the broader ecosystem of NFTs, uh, problems, solutions, interesting things that are coming around. And I think it's just a great resource for anyone to get involved in. And obviously, I mentioned, you know, stay up to date on future news and go check out that Sense demo that you shared as well, because something we released yesterday. And I think it does a, a great job just visualizing exactly what it is I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, I'm going to say it's unbelievable. Really, honestly, well done. Uh, we'll, we'll share it out again. It's really great. And also, check out Pastel and Lunar Crush. And with that, I want to say thank you, Anthony. It's been an awesome hour catching up with you and learning about uh, Pastel. Awesome.
1: Yeah, that was a great job. <laughs>